We are currently working through a series called The Kingdom is at Hand, and we have thought about what it means when we talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not necessarily a geographical kingdom, but is God's dynamic, sovereign rule over all things, where God's will is done. Jesus says in Mark, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The good news is that the time has come. Jesus is king and the kingdom of God is near. And we are going to be focusing today on what it means when the kingdom has come so close that we see the finger of God at work. We'll be thinking about who this affects and who is included. In God's kingdom, everyone is invited. Jesus had many disciples, both men and women, who were involved with doing the works of the kingdom. Jesus included and empowered all of his disciples, and he still does. Does this actually marry up with what we have been taught or what we actually believe? When John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, first became a Christian, he looked at the Bible and he realized that the people in the Bible were living exciting lives, moving in great power, and he wondered when he was going to get to do the stuff that they were doing. Healing the sick, making the blind see, raising the dead. And when he asked people in the church about this, they seemed very confused. And they said, no, we read about the stuff, we study the stuff, we talk about the stuff, but we don't actually do any of it. This really disappointed Wimber, and he famously said, when I worked for the devil, he let me do his stuff. But when I came to work for Jesus, they wouldn't let me do his stuff. I signed up to do the stuff. And when he started looking into this, he realized that doing the things of the Bible was for everyone and not just the few. And he had this phrase that he used, which was, everyone gets to play. This value everyone gets to play is what I'm going to be talking about today. I believe this is exactly how Jesus wants the church to function. When everyone gets to play, this is when the church is at its best. Did anyone here see the new David Beckham documentary? Hands up. It's good. I watched it. I found it so interesting to witness his changing style over the years especially his ever-changing hairstyles. But even more interesting to me was to see the influence that he had on the kids of this country as they all tried to emulate the David Beckham hairstyle. When he shaved his hair off, schools even had to rewrite their school dress codes because all these little boys rocked up to school with David Beckham skinheads. These kids wanted to be like their hero, David Beckham. And maybe they even thought if they shaved their hair, they'd be as good at football as him. Kids try to emulate their heroes. Why do they admire them? Because their heroes have talents, gifts, superpowers, or personalities that they want to emulate. They want to become like them. Little kids really believe that they can be like their heroes, they don't believe that heroism is only for the few. I have a little friend, Jonah, and when he was about three, I used to look after him sometimes when his mom was at work. 
Sometimes I'd come to the house and I'd say, right, Jonah, come on, let's get ready. We're going to go and pick your sister up. And he would absolutely and totally ignore me. And when I inquired as to why this was, he would just look at me deadpan in the eye and say, I'm not Jonah, I'm Batman. And then I'd have to say, right, Batman, let's get going. And then he'd happily fly along with me to school, defending the planet as we went. Well, maybe this is why kids are so good at jumping in and getting involved with God's stuff when they get the chance, because they still believe that they can be or do anything. When my youngest son, Zach, was little, he told me that he was going to go to space one day when he was older. Just matter of fact, on the way home from school, that he was either going to be a spaceman or an Olympic runner. One of the two. Well, you know, not many adults have either of those ambitions in their five to ten year plans. As adults, we seem to have lost our sense of wonder. And becoming like our heroes is unattainable. Doing the same things as them feels like an unreachable goal for us because we feel like our heroes are so different from the rest of us. Do you know, sometimes in churches, we can do the same thing. Maybe we don't get our hair cut like our heroes, but we can fall into the trap of putting certain people on a pedestal. We might follow them on Instagram, listen to all their podcasts, read their books, listen to all their albums, and know all the words. We might think they are some kind of super Christian. I think we've all become aware recently of the danger of what can lie behind the scenes of this celebrity church culture. There's been a shift as we see God bringing into light what has been happening in the secret place. And we are witnessing the fallout. We've grieved as we have watched what happens when Christians abuse their power to harm others or build toxic ministry cultures. There has been a fall and a toppling of platforms and a tearing down of one person-centered ministries. And this type of celebrity church culture is crumbling. But I think this has brought a fresh longing for God, for humility, for authenticity and integrity, where man is not worshipped but God alone. In our context, we might have heard our say, ourselves saying how gifted or talented certain people are in the local church. And deep down, we may believe that those things are out of reach for us. We look at people who are maybe delivering a prophetic word or leading worship so sensitively, planting churches, preaching incredible sermons, coming to church with exciting stories of how God has used them in their workplaces. We wonder how people can pray with such authority and we describe them as real men or true women of God as if the rest of us are fake. We believe that they are without any insecurity or doubt and maybe they're just cut from a different type of cloth. We might think that they've never failed in their lives and we become intimidated and this confirms to us that they are different and we could never attempt to be like them. But I'm here to tell you today that there's no room for superstars in the church. There should be no elitism. The Bible is full of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And the truth is that those people who you think are so gifted and brave, they're the same as you and I. They are just ordinary people who have said their yes to God. And they've tried. 
They have joined in with his work, and I can guarantee you that they have just as many stories of when things didn't work out perfectly as when they did. The wonderful thing about God is that he just doesn't show favoritism. In Acts 10, it says this, Peter fairly exploded with the good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel, that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere among everyone. The kingdom of God is so exciting. And when you follow Jesus, you are supposed to be living an exciting life. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Unfortunately for many people, this is not the case. I think the reason that people see Christianity as boring is because some Christians are boring. <laughs> Maybe it's because they've become a Christian and they think that's it. They've got their ticket to heaven and they spend the rest of their lives just waiting. But there's so much more for them and they are missing out. You know, when I was younger, my family moved to Texas. And in America, I went into middle school and we all had the opportunity to try out for some sports teams. And I decided that I was gonna try out for the basketball team. I had never played basketball before. <laughs> and just in case you don't know, Americans are really good at basketball. It made for a really interesting tryout because I actually didn't know the rules. So I was very enthusiastically breaking all of them. <laughs> you won't be surprised to hear that when they listed the players they had chosen for the team, my name wasn't on the list. Has this ever happened to you? It's pretty soul destroying. You've put yourself out there and you haven't been selected. You weren't good enough. I was young, but I do remember that feeling well. How I thought I had any chance of getting on that team, I don't know, but I actually did think I had a chance. However, there's more to the story because I was picked for something. I was picked to be the manager of the team. Now, you might be hoodwinked by that title, as indeed I was, but what that really meant was that I went to, got to go along to practice I got to go with the girls who made the cut, and my job was to pick up and put away the basketballs and the equipment after they were finished practice. I got to participate in training once my work was done, um, but I was never allowed to play any games. I didn't get a basketball strip. I didn't have a number on the back of my shirt. I had to go along to the games and sit on the sidelines, keeping track of all the girls who scored or every assist that they did, and um, it was a constant reminder that I wasn't good enough. I know, it's terrible. Oh, I should have brought tissues. Um, there was no chance that I could ever make it on the team that year because the team was already chosen. I think we all have a story of a time that we weren't picked for the team or we were overlooked. It's a really rubbish feeling. Well, that's not the way that God works. He doesn't have tryouts and pick the elite team while the rest of us have to scramble for our place. There is no A and B team. You are all on the A team. 
You don't have to audition for Jesus. He has already chosen you. You have been selected for his team and you get to play. Jesus commissions anyone who wants to be commissioned, regardless of personality, gender, social standing, past history, gifting, smartness, or anything else that you can think of that might disqualify you. Jesus wants to involve you for his plan in the world. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. When you make Jesus king of your life, this becoming like him and doing the stuff of the Bible is inevitable as we grow more and more like him. We are all unique and no two people will experience the commissioning the same way, but that is the beauty of it. We need everyone with their own unique giftings and talents to get involved. We're all made in the image of God and that we all have something really important to contribute. The Bible talks about the church as a body, where we're all different parts of the same body, but we cannot function without the other. God formed us all with a destiny and a purpose, and we're all meant to carry his kingdom into this world. And everyone brings something different to the table. The things that God has built into us, our personality, experiences, both good and bad, our spiritual gifts, God uses all of it. And you know, he's so generous. He wants to involve people in the work of his kingdom. Everybody that believes in Jesus can have the experience of bringing in his kingdom. And we get to contribute to his ministry here on earth. So it doesn't matter if you're five years old or if you've been a Christian five minutes, five years or even 50 years. Everybody gets to play. You see this all throughout the Bible. God uses everyone. Remember the story of when Jesus was teaching 5,000 people and it got to lunchtime. The disciples came and told Jesus, people need their lunch. And Jesus said, you feed them. But they didn't know how. And you know, it was a little boy with his packed lunch come along and he offered his food. And Jesus multiplies that little boy's lunch and the disciples got involved passing it all out. Here's an example where everybody gets to play. God used the little that that boy had in his hands and he did something miraculous with it. The Bible is full of stories like this. God loves to do it. God takes the most ordinary or indeed unlikely people and he uses them in the most incredible ways. Not just as a one-off, but time and time and time again. And it is absolutely not the case that there are a chosen few and the rest of us have to sit on the sidelines watching like I was on the basketball team. The exact same principle applies to us today. We don't believe that it was just for Bible times, but we believe we are the next chapter and we can do the same things as the disciples and Jesus. In fact, look at what Jesus says about it. In John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified to the Son. You, ask, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That is us he's talking about. And what is the qualification? Whoever believes in him. There's no mention if you are male or female, young or old, or what your upbringing was, whether you've been to Bible college or not, who your parents are, or how long you've been a Christian. The Bible says, whoever believes in him, that's it. That is the qualification. 
You know, when I first came along to a vineyard church, I was maybe about 22 years old, but I had been brought up in church, but I was still shocked when they expected me to do things like pray for people or prophesy. I think I knew in theory that everyone was able to do those things, but what I came to realize was I really didn't believe it for one minute. I didn't believe that I could be part of it. When people started to give me words and pictures, I was in awe. I just loved to hear from God from these other people. But I certainly didn't think it would ever happen through me. I was really scared that my cover would be blown and they would find out that my level of spirituality was just too low. Maybe, maybe I would be able to say a prayer out loud if I had been given time to prepare and I had written it down. But no chance would I be able to hear from the Holy Spirit myself. I believe deep down to my core that some people were super gifted because God loved them more and they were holier than me. But what I was being told in this church was that this core belief was wrong and anyone could do it if they wanted. The thing that I was confused about was that it wasn't those people who had the power. They were just willing to let God use them and it was his power that flowed through them. You know, there's been times since when God has given me maybe a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge for someone. And sometimes I have prayed for people and they've been healed. We are not responsible for the healing or whatever seemingly impossible thing is that we're asking God for. We are just responsible for the asking. And God loves to bless people and he is always speaking. The problem is never with God. The problem was I wasn't listening, or maybe I really just didn't know how to listen. I remember I started to get a little bit more comfortable praying for people, and they put me on the ministry team. Someone came forward and said they had a sore back, they had pain in their back, and I said, sorry, I don't do healing. You might want to get someone else with a better track record, and I passed them on. Even though my thinking was completely wrong, what I said did have an element of truth to it. I don't have the power to heal. None of us do. It's only God that can do any of these things through us. If you feel ill-equipped, even on your best days, you are in the right place. 2 Corinthians 12 says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As soon as we start to think that it is us that can do anything on our own, that's when we're on a slippery slope. But God does want to use us in his plan to bring the kingdom on earth. And if you feel weak, then you are strong. It's then that you rely completely on God. And it is important that we say here that there will be times when you pray for someone and they don't get healed. And not everything you attempt will work. This can be hard. But this is the in-between times of the now and the not yet of the kingdom. And God asks us to try anyway. We are not responsible for the results. We are only responsible for the obedience. God loves, and I mean he loves to use the most unlikely of people to do his works. Moses described himself as not very good with words and he got tongue-tied. 
His words got all tangled up. Who did God use to be his mouthpiece to release the whole nation of Israel from bondage? Who had to speak in front of Pharaoh's court? Moses. I am certainly an ordinary person. As much as I've never had a a problem with chatting to people, when I had to do any kind of public speaking at school, I would absolutely crumble. I, I honestly would be like hyperventilating, sweating. Oh, it's not a pretty sight. I had absolutely zero confidence in myself or in anything that I had to say. Any class talk would usually end up with me giggling, stuttering my way through as I was just so nervous. At high school, a teacher got me up in front of the whole class and she shouted at me, it's not, sorry, it's not funny. Do you think it's funny that you're stupid? And do you know what I said? Because I was so humiliated. I said, yes, I did think it was funny that I was stupid. And now look, God is using the girl who could not string two words together and whose teacher thought she was so stupid that she felt the need to humiliate her to speak to you today. The most unlikely of people even I get to play. You know, church should never be a spectator sport with a few people running around, stressed out their heads, carrying the load, desperate for others to join in. And it also shouldn't be a place where there are some elite people who give themselves titles and don't let anyone else do anything because they think they are the only qualified ones. That's not the deal. When someone would like prayer, we don't have to get Andrew and Lorraine. They are wonderful at praying. They have been called to lead this church, but they don't have magic hands. God can use them just like he can use you. Now, I like a little bit of audience participation, so are you ready? Andrew and Lorraine, could you two stand up, please? (laughs) Do a twirl, do a twirl. No, it's fine, I've got the microphone. I've got power hungry, sorry. Now, look at these guys. Let's give them a clap. They are wonderful. They are. They are wonderful. And if we thought that they were our team, it's not that they're not bad, that they're bad, but it's quite small, isn't it? It's a small team. If we only had these guys to minister to us, so many of us would miss out because there's not enough time for them to minister to all of us every week. Okay. If you have led a small group in this church, can you stand up, please? Okay. Look at that beautiful team, see? The team is getting a little bit bigger. But let's make it bigger. If you've ever been to a small group in this church, stand up. If you're here this morning, could you stand up, please? (laughs) If you're able. Now, I want you to look around at this team. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you can sit down now. That was a bigger team. Now, if we all think of ourselves as people who can pray, then think how many more people could be ministered to. And it's not just for inside the church. Your leaders don't live in your house with your family. They don't live next door to your neighbors. They don't go to your school or college or uni or workplace. They don't walk their dogs in the same places as you. 
When we all get to play and we join in, things multiply, and so many more people can experience the love of God. When your friend is hurting or needs healing, you can pray for them. You carry with you Jesus and his power wherever you go. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, and that is incredible. And when we grasp this truth and truly believe it, we can make such a huge impact on our communities. And as you spend time with Jesus and live your life with authenticity, listening to God's promptings when you're with your friends, you'll be amazed at what God does through you in a way that only you can do. So how do we become part of the team? How do we become part of the team? Let's look how Jesus modeled it to us. In Luke 3, he says that says this. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Jesus is first filled with the Spirit. He was baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him. And everything he does to proclaim and demonstrate the inbreaking of the kingdom is then led and empowered by the Spirit. And it is the same Spirit that he has given to us so that we can be empowered and demonstrate the inbreaking of the kingdom. Jesus says in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This was Jesus' manifesto. He demonstrated and modeled this to his 12 disciples. They followed him around and watched what he did. Then he said, you do it. He commissioned them too and sent them out. And we read of the disciples doing the same things that Jesus did. Matthew 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and heal every kind of disease and illness. And further on it says this. He said to them, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. And then later on, that multiplies from the 12 to the 72 people. In Luke 10, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. And they get commissioned to do the same thing. He tells those 72, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near to you now. And now he's saying to us, you do it. We are his hands and feet here on earth. The great commission is for us today. In Matthew 28, it says this. Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. It's not just a passive thing. If you don't know where to start, it's a good idea to find someone who, who's doing stuff that you would like to do. What do you love? What are you good at? Where do your natural gifts lie? Well, find someone ahead of you and ask them to hang out. Ask questions, watch them, learn from them. If someone is acting out a calling in their life similar to what you think you're called to do, glean from them. And while no one's perfect, John Wimber used to say, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Take their best. 
And then you might want to tag along with them and serve with them. If you would like to pray with someone and you don't know how, why don't you ask someone who does seem to know how if you could come and watch? Watch while you're, they're doing things and learn. We should be quick to give away everything that we have learned and been taught. It's not just a mystery for the chosen few. And this equipping is not just about what's seen on the outside, but it's inward growth too. When our private life does not match our public life, that's when things can crumble. Discipleship is much more about the, our heart than about what we do. The heart stuff is so important. The stuff in the secret place. But that is also an opportunity to learn from others. Be honest. Be accountable. Show up as a lifelong learner and ask each other challenging questions. God is always at work. So pay attention. Who is God putting in your path? Who is ahead of you in kingdom experience that you could learn from? And look to see who is God put in your life? And be ready yourself to give it all away. Charlie did a beautiful job last week of talking about legacy and investing our lives into something that matters. You can be on the lookout for people to invest in, who you can welcome into the team. Jesus was incredibly welcoming even to the most unlikely of people. And it's always amazing how quickly God can take the trainee and change them to be the trainer. Look out for people that you can teach. And this stuff then becomes ingrained in the very essence of who we are. And it spreads, people empowering other people. You know, Jesus invested in a few disciples, who invested in a few disciples, who invested in a few disciples. And over time, it changed the world. And we are the product. Superstar Christianity, where we rely on one super gifted person, does not work. But this long obedience in the same direction where we make disciples of the true king and give away what God has given us over and over and over again, that is world changing. And it brings the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. Just practically, I just want to say as well at the end here that something we like to encourage people in our church to do is to absolutely pursue the area that you feel called and gifted in and look for where the need is. Both and. If we have any sort of front-facing role, we really like to encourage that person to look for an area behind the scenes to serve as well. It's good for you. There may be some, but I'm not sure there are many, who feel that they are called to put out the chairs and put the chairs away on a Sunday morning. But you're all sitting on a chair today, and I'm telling you something, they don't magically disappear. When you're serving, you are acting just like Jesus. Remember, he was the one washing the disciples' feet while they had just been busy arguing about who was the greatest. So, the next time you look at someone and think, I could never do that, remember these words, in God's kingdom, everyone gets to play. So go for it. Find it somewhere where you can serve. Keep saying your yes to God and see what he will do through you.